0: Good morning. Uh, welcome to our family gathering. We call it a family gathering because we're the family of God and it's our privilege to be that. It's our privilege to welcome you as if, as if you're, you are family, if you're visiting with us today. Uh, my name is Jay and I get to pastor this family and I'm very, very blessed to do so. We are uh, going through a series right now called Exiles. And uh, I've been calling this an equipping series. And what I mean by that is as the people of God, we're, we're going through the book of 1 Peter. I don't know if you've ever read that before. If you haven't, this will be new to you. Uh, if you have, I'm, I'm hoping that God really stirs your heart in a new way through it. Um, but but what Peter is doing in his letter to these various churches is he, he is trying to equip them for the work that they're about to become a part of. And he's saying, you, you guys have an identity as God's people, and that identity is to be exiles in the world who display and declare, demonstrate what I'm like to people that don't yet know me so that my family would grow. And so it's an equipping series in that we are really trying to equip you with, one, your identity in Christ, and two, what it looks like to live out of that identity in all the rhythms of your life. Uh, And so we've been doing that over the last four or five weeks or so. We're in week five now. If you want to track with us, we have Bibles that are underneath the seats in front of you or somewhere nearby, and we 're going to be on page eight forty as we do that. If you remember last week we started this seri- or we started last week and we talked about this idea of being a spiritual household in which God dwells in his people, and that the purpose of that dwelling is that we would be a, a people of priests kind of in the world, de- declaring what he 's like, demonstrating. And literally bringing reconciliation between people and God. That's the role of a priest and what he does. So if you haven't heard that message, I encourage you to check out the podcast. And um, if you remember last week, the the kind of the encapsulating idea, we looked at one of the verses, came in verse 11 and 12 when Peter said, dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires. So you're... Your identity is as aliens and strangers, and as that identity, I want you to live this way. Live such good lives among the pagans, those who don't yet believe, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that He visits us. I didn't use this phrase last week, but if you were to encapsulate what that means, is that we are all, if we're God's people, worship leaders. That, that's our identity. That's actually who we are. So it doesn't matter if you play the guitar or not, or the drum, or if you have rhythm or not. All of us are worship leaders. We lead people to worship what we worship by the way that we live our lives. And so if we worship ourselves, then we will lead other people to worship themselves. If we worship God by the way that we live, our acts and our deeds will actually declare to them who we worship, and it will lead them to worship the same person that we do. And it's important that we do this in two different ways. We need to be a people who both demonstrate it with our lives. We talked about that last week. And we need to be a people who declare it with our mouths. See, you can't have one without the other. You you know people who have done one or the other and not had both. And we've been, I think all of us at some point in our lives, probably people who have done one or the other. Because if we're a people who just demonstrate a different kind of life with our lives, but we don't actually give words to the fact of who actually changed us to live that life, then the people around us, whether they're our neighbors or our children or whoever, will get the impression that all they need to do to get better is to work harder. They just need to be a better person and serve more and and live a better life. And you know people like this, and we've probably done it ourselves, where we've said with our lives. All you need to do is live like I do. And you'll be a better person. And that's not the truth, right? Because it's actually Jesus who comes into our hearts and by His Spirit changes us to be a new person. God actually rearranges the DNA of our lives and He says we are a new creation in Him. You can't live a new life apart from the work that I do in you because I'm trying to declare what I'm like, not what you're like. But we can't Just declare without demonstrating too. Because we've met people like that who tell everybody about God and what He's like and yet never ever live anything like what they say. We have a word for that, right? What do we call those people? Yeah, we call them hypocrites, right? Are you attracted to people who are constantly talking about how wonderful God is, and yet when you look at the landscape of their life, you see nothing but... Disarray and dismay and, and discouragement and doubt, and their words don't match their actions, right? And so that's why P- Peter says we need to be a people who demonstrate with our lives, live such good lives. But we also need to be people who declare with our lives and with our words the kind of God that we serve. Um, a, a way to, to encapsulate that is to say, live live in such a way that it demands. A Gospel explanation. That's what we said last week. Um, Over the next three weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of take that idea and we're going to break it down into several areas of life. So you can think of this as a a series within a series that we're doing. Because Peter, what he's starting to do is apply that message of living such good lives to people who are in very different circumstances from one another. And he's going to apply it Specifically to servants or slaves, to married couples, and then to those who are suffering. And so you may not be in any one of these categories, but actually if you look at all of them together, together they give a full picture of what it looks like to live as a people who are responding to the activity of God in our lives. And this is a pretty diverse community that Peter's writing to. Uh, diverse, kind of like we're pretty diverse. And the community that we live among is pretty diverse. Um, it, they have you know, Jews and non-Jewish people, and they have rich people, and they have poor people, and they have slaves that are all a part of this community together. And last week, if you remember, I mentioned that uh, the, this community is a spiritual house in which God now dwells. And one of the indicators that God is actually dwelling in a people is that they are looking more and more and more diverse from one another. Now why would I say something like that? Because if, if a, a people are on mission to a context, that context is going to look very diverse, right? Think of all the people that are around us in South Jersey. The kind of people that are in Voorhees and the kind of people that are in Clementon or in Camden. I mean, both of those things are a 10-minute drive from us. Do they look very... Unique? Yeah. I mean, do they look like one another? <laughs> Not really, right? You, you have actually, I don't know if you realize this in New Jersey, one of the most wealthy zip codes and the poorest zip code in New Jersey in the same county within 10 minutes from one another. And, and so for people, what Peter's saying to, to, to be a demonstration of the Gospel is that the community actually has to start to take on the shape and the form of the people that they're embedded among. And that's part of my glory being displayed. Because people will, if you hang out with everybody that looks exactly like you all the time, no one's going to ask you the question, why do you love these people? They're going to say you love them because they look just like you do, right? But if you hang out for no other reason than the Gospel, people who look radically different from you, who think differently from you, whose lives are different from you, then people will look at that relationship of love and go, there is nothing that would bind you two together other than if God were working in you. And that's when you actually get to declare the reason that you have love for people that don't look like you. So I would ask you the question, in, in your experience, in your weekly you know, walk, do you just hang around with the people that look most like you? Are they the same age and the same economic status and the same job category? Do they have kids like you have kids or don't have kids like you don't have kids? One of the indications that the Gospel is breaking into your heart is that you find yourself having love for people that don't look like you. And you want to spend time with them more and more. Because a family looks very diverse, does it not? It has kids and parents and grandkids and crazy uncles, you know? All together in one family. Is that happening? One of the subgroups that Peter's talking to, that he's writing to in this letter, is a, a group of people who are servants. They're literally slaves. Um, and I know when I use that word in America, it brings up a very specific connotation of slavery. But usually what slavery meant in that day is that somebody didn't have the economic means to sustain their own life. And because they, la- they, they got to their last leg, so to speak, the only thing that they had left economically to sell was themselves. And so people often would sell themselves into bondage for a time to work off a debt or to get themselves back on their feet. Uh, sometimes it was for even longer periods than that. And if They had children who were born into slavery, then they were slaves too. Uh, But it was a very different picture than, than the one that we kind of have in our mind. And we probably think to ourselves, okay, what in the world could this first century idea of slavery have for me as a free and middle class maybe American in the 21st century? One of the things, if you remember, that we talk about a lot here is that we have an identity in Christ. There are certain things that God makes true of us when we come to faith in Him. And we celebrate that through baptism, right? Every time somebody comes to faith in Jesus, we baptize them. And what we say is, we baptize you in the name of the Father because you're His family. And we baptize you in the name of the Son because He is now your King and you are His servant. That's what we're going to talk about today. And we baptize you in the name of the Holy Spirit and He is your sender. He is your empowerer and you are His missionary. And so servanthood is actually part of our identity as being Christians now. It's, it's, what, it's who we are as people. And, and so it might have a lot more to say to us than we realize. Because as, as God's people, we're supposed to look differently from the world. And what Peter's going to say is the reason that we look different from the world is because we are a servant people. When everyone else is serving themselves, we serve others. When, when they're serving for the wrong reasons, we serve for the right ones. And so we are servants by nature. And he's going to unpack this a little bit, so we'll follow him along. But He's going to talk about three aspects of this servant identity that help us live out this calling of living lives that demand an explanation. Okay, so the first one is this, that we serve as a sign of God's authority and our freedom. Now what do I mean by that? In Peter's day, which is a lot like ours, there were a lot of authorities that were in place which governed much of how people lived their lives. There there were order and structure that gave kind of shape to life. But the difference was that many of those structures had supreme power to do whatever it is that they wanted. One of the examples that I found was that Roman fathers, if you were a Roman citizen, could legally murder their children if they so chose. They could le- And nobody could ask a question. Now why is that? Because they were the supreme authority of their family. There's a structure there. And now that structure may make us wince and, and get queasy a little bit, but that's what it meant to be part of that society. And as a Christian oftentimes what would happen is you you were essentially declaring that you were no longer going to be at the top of the food chain by being a Christian. Because Christians, like we said a few weeks ago, were on the margins of society. They were the ones that were being pushed aside by everybody else, right? Um, So they weren't the ones in power. So Peter can't talk about living a different kind of life without at least addressing what it looks like to be this kind of servant that submits himself or herself for everyone else's sake. So he says this, submit yourselves for whose sake? For the Lord's sake, right? This is on 840 if you're following along. To every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the King. So when Peter is saying, I want you to submit yourselves to every authority structure among men... What he's literally saying is, I want you to submit yourself, the words are, to everything created by man. Every created order by humans. Submit yourself under those things. So, remind me, okay? Because I'm a little slow sometimes. Who created humans? God, okay. Who, Who actually has authority over life and death itself? God does, right? We saw that in the story. Only He has that authority. And now, who's created these institutions and structures which govern life? Humans have. So, okay, do the math for me. If God created humans and humans created the structure, who is actually over the structure? God is. You see what he's saying? God is the one who's in charge and you belong to Him, therefore you can submit yourself under those structures, not because they're good, or not because they're powerful, but because I'm powerful. And you belong to Me. See, many Christians, and you may know some, we may be some, I don't know, live as though there are authority structures that are actually outside of God's control. Can you give me some examples? Taxes. Yeah. God, I hate paying my taxes. <laughs> right? I refuse to submit to them. What else? Yeah, a certain, a certain political party. Yeah. God, the world would be so much better if my candidate got in, but since the other one did, it just proves that this world is a sinful place and it's completely out of control. <laughs> no one said that over the last couple weeks, I'm sure. Right? <laughs> yeah, I try not to. <laughs> what else? Dictatorships. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so you, you, that's a, p- a particularly powerful case where, as God's people, obviously we are those who value life and attribute life and death to God, and only he gets to decide that. And yet, how do we as his people uh, demonstrate and declare what he's like in a society that is doing the, ro- doing the opposite of that, right? Right? Um how do you how do you begin to right, the declare it Mhm certain situations that then people have compassion for one another this what about that Yep understanding this that. right Yep Yeah so so all is not lost in any situation and so we can still point to the fact that God is in control See, there are many areas in life where we live in fear that God isn't in control. So when our political candidate doesn't get into office, we fear that God may not be in control of the country anymore. Um, And instead of submitting to those authority structures, as Peter is indicating, we rebel against them with our actions or our words or our thoughts or our Facebook posts or our emails, right? So what are some of the other authority structures that we kind of are called to submit to in everyday life? We've mentioned government, taxes. What are some other ones? Our bosses. Gosh, why would you have to include that one? It wasn't on my sheet here. I was going to avoid it altogether. <laughs> teachers and educators yeah who else parents yeah <laughs> your parents are are a structure which god has instituted by his divi- d- divine authority in your life to submit yourselves under did you realize that <laughs> Yeah, police, laws, uh, codes, yeah, all of that stuff. I had a rub up against that this week with some uh, automobile codes that say that my car needs to be up to a certain level in terms of its emission. And um, that that little code is going to cost me about $2,000, so I'm not too happy of submitting to that one, yeah. (laughs) Exactly, Lindley, thank you for commiserating with me. I don't know if you realize this, but marriage is one. Church leadership is another. So let me ask you this. You you kind of identified a number of these. When you're serving them, are you more likely to submit willingly as God asked you to? As if you're submitting to God directly because you belong to Him? Or are you more likely to question or become defensive or tear down or malign those in authority? Are you more likely to pray for your leaders or are you more likely to send out an email which turns them into a caricature of themselves? See, some of those are tough questions, right? But we as God's people, when we do that, what we're actually saying is that God is the one who isn't in control. And what God says in response is that you're not really bucking their authority when you do those things. You're bucking mine because I've decided for them to be in that position. I don't know if you remember from the story, but it's actually our desire to be in a place of authority and control which led us to our separation from God in the first place. We said to Him essentially in the garden, I don't trust you with the knowledge of what's good and evil. I want to decide for myself those things. And when it comes to authority, we have essentially taken that same mentality all the way through and said with every authority figure, knowing and understanding that they're sinful just as everybody else is, but saying essentially to them, I don't trust you and I will not submit to you. Americans, we've made a lifestyle of this. We've made a country out of it because we have such distrust for those who are in positions of leadership. And that filters into everyday life, doesn't it? So, what does Peter say in response to this? How is it that we're supposed to serve them as though God is sovereign in our lives? He says, as God's servant family, the way that we'll serve them is in such a way that it brings honor and respect to them. Honor and respect. So, we're to serve as a declaration that God is great and that in Him we're free because He's in control, He has authority. This kind of leads into the second point, is that we serve not because people are good, but because God is good. We serve not because people are good, but because God is good. No one, and maybe I would include you in it, has trouble serving when it's a cause or a person that they've deemed worthy of service, right? If If there is a cause out there that you believe in, you will give your time and your energy towards it willingly. But Peter doesn't stop with giving our time and energy to things that are deemed worthy of our time. He actually goes on to say that as servants of Jesus, we should be willing to serve even those who would abuse our servanthood of them. It's a pretty radical thing when he says this. Slaves, so now he's addressing specifically people who are in bondage. Submit yourselves to your masters with all respect and unfortunately... Back in the days of American slavery, slave masters would use this verse against their slaves when it wasn't intended for them, but for those who were in that that kind of bondage. Not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. See, nobody likes the idea of being a servant until someone treats us like one. Right? It's when someone treats us like one that we have a problem with it. Peter is given a pretty radical statement here of what submission looks like. He's saying don't just submit to those who deserve your submission Submit to even those who might abuse it. Now, why in the world would He say something like that? And how in the world would you actually be able to live it out? Jesus actually said something very similar to this, and it gives us a clue as to how we might actually do it. He says, but I say, love your enemies and do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Here's the thing. We end up taking on the traits of those who were children of. One of the things that um, my dad was kind of known for is uh, just being the kind of person that loves everyone and um, knows everyone. Everyone. You know, like if you were, we were on family vacations where we were like 600 miles from home, and sure enough, we'd bump into somebody that dad knew from 20 years ago. Every time, didn't matter where we were in the country, we'd always meet somebody and go, hey, how you been? Oh, great, how are you? Haven't seen you in a long time. How are the kids? You know, like, where did you meet these people that you suddenly know them all across the the land? But that was the kind of person he was, and he, he... he, and he is. i talk about him as if he's not here, but he is. He's just down in Florida, which is, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I won't go any further than that. <laughs> it's a whole other world down there. 75 and sunny today. What's going on? But he, he's the kind of person where when he meets somebody, even for once or twice, he remembers who they are. And, and, and that person sticks with him, and I think they stick with the, the other person. And even when he hasn't seen them for 20 years, there's this desire within him to just be uh, open and engaging with, with those people. A very loving person like that. And I always remember growing up and seeing that from my dad and going, I want to walk in my dad's shoes with that. It's one of the reasons why you know I, I, I want to be around people is because he loved being around people. And even though that's not my natural inclination all the time, I still press towards that because I think... Man, what an example he's been to other people because of the way he lived his life. Um, we end up taking on the traits of our parents. You, you do the same thing. And what Peter is saying is, what proves that you're part of God's family and that you have Him as your Father is that you begin to take on the traits of your Father. So what is your Father like? Your Father is merciful to those who don't deserve mercy. Your Father is Loving to those who would reject His love and pursuit of them, right? Your, your Father shows kindness to those who are even ungrateful that He showed kindness in the first place. And if we're His kids, we will produce what He's like with our lives. That's what He's saying. Not only that, but God actually gives us His Spirit to empower us to live in that kind of different life. So with Him, God actually gives the ability to love and to bless even those who've hurt you. Even those who've wronged you. And that's how you know one of the indications that the Gospel is actually beginning to break into your heart. I mentioned before that one of the indications is that you actually start to have a love for people who, do, who look differently from you the second indication is that you, have to, you start to have a love for people who've actually harmed you. Because you know that in your past, your story, you've been the one on the other end who's hurt God by your actions, who's rebelled against Him with your lives. I don't know if you remember the story of um, The Passion of the Christ, the movie that came out. Um, it was done by Mel Gibson. And I know he's had a number of problems since then. But one of the things that he said in the making of that film that really stuck with me is that he makes one cameo in the film. I don't know if you realize this or not. You, you never see his face anywhere. He's the director. Uh, but he shows up one place. Do you know where he shows up? His are the hands that are hammering the nails into Jesus' hands and his feet. They asked him why he would do something like that, and he said, because I'm the reason that he had to come in the first place. And it was my rebellion which held him there on the cross until it was finished. That's somebody, at one point in time at least, who realized what it meant to live a life in rebellion of God and what God had done for him on his behalf to reconcile him to God. When that's getting into your DNA, you will express the same kind of kindness to those who've harmed you. Because if you remember what Jesus said on the cross is, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. So who in your life has harmed you that you need to bring reconciliation to? Who, who in your life has extended you evil and in response, because you know and love the gospel, you have a new ability to respond by extending grace and love and mercy. That's when we know that we're actually being children of God. And the truth is this, no one actually deserves the kind of service that God calls us to. And neither do we, right? But when we understand this, when we get this wrong, we'll end up serving Those whom we most like. Or we'll end up serving those who seem to have more gratitude for our service. Or those who have the ability to repay us. Or those who seem more morally upright than others. Or those who have not yet heard us. But this is not what God has called us to. We are called to serve everyone. Not because they deserve it, but because we didn't deserve it and God gave it to us anyway. So what if we began to serve those around us as an indication not of our goodness, but of God's goodness? That would start to radically change things, right? If people saw that kind of display in us by the way that we serve them, and then we gave glory to God, but not to ourselves, and we said the reason that I'm actually able to do this is not because there's anything good in me, but because everything that's good is found in Him. the truth is this, that this will not happen for you if you do not believe that God has been good to you already and specifically to you. This kind of leads to the third thing, that we serve because Jesus served on our behalf. The whole reason that we serve and have the ability to serve is because Jesus first served and loved us. The truth is that God has been good to us when we didn't deserve it, right? God is being good to us and that He is changing us by a product of His Spirit into the image of His own Son. And if we don't believe that about ourselves, one, that we did not deserve it, and two, that God is doing it anyway, if we don't believe that we're being changed every single day by God's mercy and grace in our lives, if we feel that our lives are hopeless and stagnant and never going anywhere, then we will look at everybody else that we encounter with the same eyes. We will think the same things of them, that I'm not able to change, they're not able to change, and so why should I spend my time and waste it on them by serving them? But if we see our lives as being radically transformed by the Gospel and the power of the Spirit in us, if we have that kind of hope because of what God has done for us in Christ, then we will look at others and we will not see a lost cause. We will see someone worthy of giving ourselves for because we weren't worthy and God gave it to us anyway, right? That's why Peter calls us to our to Jesus' example. Because if you try to serve by any other means, by any other motivation, for any other reason, you're going to be left empty and hollow inside. But here's what he says is to be our example. He says, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving for you an example that you should follow in His steps. Now what is that example? He says, he committed no sin and no, de- no deceit was found in his mouth. There's a uh, quote, quote of Isaiah 53.9. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, and this is the key, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Who did Jesus entrust himself to? I mean, who is the one that Peter's talking about? god right his father what do we know about the relationship between jesus and his father describe it to me close that scratches the surface right i mean it's like <laughs> yeah yeah they were fond of one another yeah <laughs> right they're one and the same yeah Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What else do we know about their relationship? (laughs) Yeah, no barrier between them. Right. Yep. Mm Yeah. Yeah, he has... uninhibited access to the Father, right? At all times. What else do we know about Him? He's proud of Him. How do we know that? Yeah, do you remember when Jesus was baptized? He comes up out of the water and He hasn't done a darn thing yet, right? In terms of ministry. All He's done is get dunked and come out. And now suddenly the, the heavens part and something like a dove descends on Jesus, and you hear from, from the clouds a voice which says what? This is My Son in whom I'm well pleased. What we said before is Jesus' full identity was wrapped up in His Father's love. So From that point on, does He need to question whether or not God loves Him? No, right? He's heard it audibly, in front of everybody. This is my son. I love him. Listen to him. His full identity is wrapped up in his father. There's nothing, he is le- there's nothing that he's left wanting from that relationship with God. And so what is he able to do from that point on for the next three years? How does he live his life? As a total servant, right? A servant unto death even. Why is he able to do it? He knows who he fully is. His identity is fully wrapped up in his Father. He knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is loved and accepted before the Father. Yeah. So when he goes to the Father, he, he's not going, begging, and pleading for God to do something that he's not already done because of what he already is. Yeah. Yeah. Full trust and submission, even at the point where he's at his gravest hour, he, he, drops of blood coming from his brow, knowing that he needs to give his life for the people who are now rejecting His Father and Himself. And He says, not My will, but Your will. You see how the the trust and submission flows from a place of acceptance and love and grace for Jesus? He's able to entrust Himself to the One who judges justly because He knows He's judged justly on His behalf already. So let me ask you this. Do you know that in Christ you are loved and accepted before the Father before you do anything in this life? If you don't know that, then you will leave this room having heard the first two points and think, I need to do more for the Father's approval. Or I need to do more for other people's approval. Please, please, Do not hear that. This is the big red flashing sign that if you don't get this, you've lost it all. You have the Father's love and acceptance. The reason that you know it is because Jesus had it. And He gave His life on your behalf to pay for your rebellion so that in Him, God now looks at you and says, Even though you've rebelled against me, I do not see it. What I see is my perfect, loving, accepted son or daughter in whom I am well pleased. Do you hear that? Ringing in your ears throughout your life, throughout your day, the first thing that you hear in the morning is I am loved and approved by God for my day. I don't even have to get out of bed and Jesus has given it to me fully. Do you know that? If you don't, you will get out of bed in the morning and you will look for it in everyone and everything that you do. Some of us, I think, many of us, many people out there, I'll you know, put it this way would claim the name of Christians because they try their hardest to imitate the life of Jesus without knowing that it's because of Jesus that they're loved and approved by God. And so you see the life that He lived, and then you, you try your darndest to imitate everything that He did without the power source that actually enabled Him to live the life. Now let me ask, what. What kind of life is that going to produce for you if you try to imitate the one who had the Father's approval but you don't believe that you had it? What's that going to produce for you? It's going to produce death. So if you've been living in that kind of mode, let me ask you, how's it working for you? How's it going? Probably not too good, right? The good news is that there is so much more for you to grasp onto, to to understand that you don't fully have right now. Some of us would say that we know the Father's loves and we would declare it with our lips, but our lives demonstrate something otherwise. And so rather than resting in the approval of our Father, we look for it in the eyes of our boyfriend as we serve them with our bodies. Or we serve your boss maybe with hours because you're dying to hear from them well done. Or you serve your sales figures in order to prove yourselves to your coworkers that you're someone who's worthy to work alongside. Or you serve your children because you're afraid that if you don't, they'll rebel against you and you'll be alone. Or you serve your spouse because you're afraid that they might leave you. We could go on and on and on, right? If you don't have your identity settled before God, then you will be saddled with a weight that you cannot bear forever. And a day will come when you will fall down in exhaustion and cry out, God, is this enough for you? The irony is that Jesus and what He did, it is enough for you. It's the only enough for you. And in Him, we are enough. Ask yourself, do I believe the Gospel that God is saving me and He has saved me and there's nothing that I need to do in order to save myself? See, the the reason that Jesus is our example is not primarily because we're supposed to imitate the way that He lived His life, although we are, but we are supposed to Imitate the one in whom He entrusted His life to. To find our identity in the same Father when we serve, knowing that the Father has already accepted us as sons. So if we don't serve out of the fact that we have an identity in Christ, then we will always serve in order to get an identity somewhere else. So let me, let me ask you this, because I think this is key. What are some of the other dangers of trying to find our identity somewhere else besides Christ? This is dialogue on that for just a second. What are some of the ways that that might be dangerous for us? Yeah, it leads to self-righteousness. How so? Yeah, yeah. you start to stack the cards in your own favor rather than entrusting in the one who gave it for you freely, right? And is it, I mean, the higher that you stack it, the more you think you can have confidence in it, and the less you actually need a Savior, the less you'll come to Jesus, and so the less you'll look like Him, right? And then what happens if that stack gets knocked down, (laughs) you know? And it turns out that we're not as righteous as we think we are. We're going to be a mess, aren't we? What else? It's a great one. Thanks, James. Yeah, self-destructive. How so? Yeah, so in a sense, if we don't give ourselves away to Jesus, we'll give ourselves away to anything. Yeah. Yeah. It's painful when those things get knocked out from under us. And it's funny because then we, we run to God and we go, How dare you take away that which I was placing my trust in? And God says, The reason I took it away is because it was in something that could not stand. That's a great word, isn't it? Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Yep. And by the way, um, this, can have, this can be true even of those of us who give our lives in service of good things. Right? Yeah. You, you can give your life in service to the church and no one will ever question your idol they'll say great things about you and and they'll hold you up as the picture of what it looks like to be a Christian and yet inside you're finding your identity in the fact that you're a servant and not the fact that Jesus was a servant for you. And you'll serve for all kinds of other reasons than the one that you should be serving for. And the way that you'll know that that's happening is because when things go well in your service, you'll feel great about yourself. And when things don't go well, you'll feel terrible. A great example of this is if you get a chance to serve in children's ministry, and I encourage you to do so. When the kids respond to you well, you go out of there feeling like you're on a cloud. Man, I, we did such a great job today, and they seemed to track well with it, and God be praised, and everything was glorious. And then you have a bad week, and it's like nobody's listening to a thing you say, and you come out of there and go, Maybe I'm just not meant for kids' ministry. I mean, this is tough. And it's not fun anymore. Or it's not giving me the high or the rush that it once did. And then our service becomes a burden to us. We've been a church long enough to know that I know that this is happening for many of us. We think that we will find satisfaction and joy in serving and then when the serving doesn't give us what we want, we go to God and we go, well, I guess you didn't want me here. And God's going, I want you here. Stick around a while because I want you to know how crummy your God is when you serve. <laughs> like the God of your, of your own service. I don't want you to trust in that. But I want you to see how bad it is for you so that you might put it down and actually worship me because I'll be able to empower you to serve in such a way that you could never understand before. Those of you who are on the worship team, I would encourage you in this way as well. Because those of us that have an opportunity to stand up in front of people, the experience in and of itself can be one that either gives us joy or gives us pain. Do not find your identity in the fact that you're standing up here. Please, don't do that because you'll lead other people to do the same in their lives. Find your identity in the fact that you're His. And stand up here in that secure identity and and cry your, your guts out to the God who gave you everything in His Son. Here's the test, I think, and I'll wrap up with this. But Whether or not you're serving out of a secure identity or whether you're looking to your service for one, after you, if, if your identity is in the right place, after you've served, you can rest. And you can leave whatever you did into the hands of one who judges justly, knowing that whether or not it was enough, it was enough. You know what I mean by that? Jesus put it this way, Take my yoke upon you. That is my teaching. Take my identity. Take who I am proclaiming myself to be upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So let me ask you, how's your yoke doing these days? Do you feel like life is light and that it's burden less? That's how you know that you're serving out of the identity of Christ. But if you feel like life is a burden unto you, you don't know how you're going to get through it, that, but you feel compelled anyway to continue to give your life away to everyone and everything else, and you never find rest, and I submit to you that that is not Jesus' yoke and identity that you're taking upon yourself. It is something else. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you want a a light yoke? Wouldn't that be nice? Then we have to come to him to find it, to find ourselves wrapped up in him. Don't serve to get an identity. Serve because you have one. We're going to pray and uh, I want to I want to pray through actually the last little bit of this uh, section that we're doing where Peter's talking about this identity of serving. So close your eyes if you would, and we're going to kind of. I, I want the words of the verse to kind of wash over you, maybe in a, a new way. Because there are those who you say, I don't know if my identity is in him. What do I do? Peter says this. He himself bore our sins in his body on that tree so that we might die to those sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. All those wounds that you're carrying around because you've tried to serve out of your flesh rather than the spirit, all the ways that you've tried to look for approval from other people. Or from God? By His wounds on that cross, God is healing you from those things. For you, you were like sheep going astray. You were looking to your own ways to give you satisfaction and joy. But now, you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Father, I pray for all of us in this room that we would be returning, we'd find our sense of self in you, Father. I pray for those that are hurting, that you'd bring them healing by your Son. I pray for those of us who've given our way, given ourselves away to serve things because we thought it would bring us joy, and instead. It brought us disillusionment, that You'd in Your grace show us that it was You who'd been trying to woo us the whole time. I pray that for us, that Jesus would be enough. Father, thank You. Thank You, God, that You have approved of Your Son, that He is accepted and loved by You, and that because He gave His life for us, we who once deserved punishment and separation from You have now received grace and mercy being welcomed into Your family. Help us live from that identity and serve from that identity within Your people and within the people of this world so that we would declare and display lives that demand an explanation. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.